Listen to that beautiful music. Miserere by Estonian composer Arvo Pärt. I love the the silences, the uh, the sparse texture, the uh, the absolute lack of <laughs> of uh, development. It's beautiful and stunning, um, very minimalistic, and in fact, it is part of a movement known as holy minimalism or mystical minimalism. Welcome to Relevant Tones, a weekly show on WFMT exploring the sound world of contemporary composers. I'm Seth Bosted, and this is the first in a three-part series exploring mystical minimalism. We're going to be listening to the music of Estonian composer Arvo Pärt, British composer John Tavener, and Polish composer Henrik Goretzky. Today's program is about Arvo Pärt, and that piece, Miserere, performed for us there by the Hilliard Ensemble, conducted by Paul Hillier, is a classic example of what he would call tintinabuli, or uh, the sound of bells. He became very obsessed with uh, this bell-like sound, and you can hear that in the voice, and you can hear it in the clarinet. There is the striking of the bell, and then the decay and the ringing of the bell, and then silence. And then the striking of the bell, the ringing of the bell, and silence. This music is minimalistic. There's very little happening. That's the uh, origin of the minimalism part. But it's also infused with a very deep, deep spirituality, hence the holy or the mystical part. The roots of holy minimalism, like so much other music from this time, lie in a kind of coming to terms with the most influential movement of the 20th century, and that is the serial movement of Arnold Schoenberg. Schoenberg started off as a romantic composer, but then he decided that the only way to push the dramatic classical music tradition forward was to completely abandon tonality. After a period of silence, where he didn't compose for several years, around 1913 he wrote freely atonal music, but by the 20s, Schoenberg had devised a system called serialism, which ensured he had destroyed the last vestiges of tonality. There are 12 tones, and you have to use all 12 before you can repeat another tone, and this ensures that no one tone is stronger than another.
Well, you could probably have a whole separate radio program just devoted to the music of the serial composers. So needless to say, I don't have time to, to go into the movement too much, but suffice it to say that it was a huge movement, hugely influential. It dominated classical music for most of the 20th century, and uh, there was a time in the, in the 60s and 70s where you could not have been a serious composer and not deal with the serial movement. Composers as diverse as Bernstein and Stravinsky, they all tried their hand at serial music with varying levels of success. Arvo Pert, like so many other composers, would wrestle with serialism, and he would use it in his music. But before he did that, he began life as a, a young prodigy, uh, improvising at the piano, and he uh, wrote in a neoclassical style, which I think is uh, perfectly understandable. He grew up in Estonia, which was part of the Soviet Union back then. He did not have access to much Western music. In fact, a lot of Western music was actively discouraged from entering the country, and so he wouldn't have heard much. Uh, but he would have heard Beethoven, he would have heard Mozart, he, I think he would have heard the great masters from the past. And so it's no surprise that his early compositions are in a uh, neoclassical style. But then in the 50s, these uh, textbooks on serialism and on more modern happenings in the classical music world were being uh, smuggled, I guess, <laughs> into the country by the dark of night. I, I like to think of a, a, a truck bearing uh, who, kno who knows what goods and things, and then you know a crate full of books on serialism and, <laughs> and other, other intellectual contraband making their way into uh, Estonia and into the hands of a young Arvo Pert. And in the 50s and 60s, he started incorporating serialism into his music. Now, by this time, serialism was 30 years old, and so composers were doing a lot more with it. Now they thought, well, if you can serialize the pitches, then we could serialize the other aspects of music. We could serialize the dynamics. We could serialize the rhythms. We, you know, we won't use an eighth note until we've used every other rhythmic permutation possible, <laughs> or the same thing with dynamics. And so by the time Parrot got a hold of uh, the textbooks about this, this was all in vogue. And so the music that he was writing, when he starts incorporating serial techniques, is serializing all these different aspects. Let's listen to a piece that is a great example of this called the Perpetuum Mobile, in which Parrot serializes pitch content as well as rhythm.
Well, it's pretty easy to hear that this is a very different kind of serialism than the Schoenberg that we listened to. The, it builds to a very thick texture. All the way through, the texture is thick enough that even though he's serializing the rhythm, it's difficult to hear exactly what the rhythms are because there are several of them going on at the same time. And that's not really the point for him to hear those rhythms. I do think it's noteworthy that you can hear a lot of repeated notes. In the beginning, the texture is very minimal, and it does point to his later style uh, that we opened the program with, the Tintinabuli. Another overriding passion for Pert was, as we mentioned in the beginning, neoclassical music, but specifically the music of Bach. Now, at this time in his career, he is interested in combining serial techniques with the music of Bach, and he does a lot of pieces in which he uses themes of Bach or homage to to Bach's music, but combines these serial elements. And I want to listen to a a very fascinating piece called Collage on the tones B-A-C-H. And uh, H in the German notation is B natural. B in the German notation is, is our B flat. So this is a very dissonant sound. You've got A, B flat, B, and then C, all half steps apart. A half step is the most dissonant interval in Western music. So to have four of them together like that, you're going to get a a very dissonant sound. And what's especially interesting in this piece is in the second movement, which is a very straightforward arrangement of Bach's D minor Sarabande from his English Suite Number 6, to which Parrot adds oboe and harpsichord. And then all of a sudden, you've, you've got this incredible cluster chord, uh, serialism all at once, <laughs> everything happening simultaneously, every pitch, huge clusters, and this very incredible dissonant sound. Let's have a listen then to the collage on the tones B-A-C-H by Arvo Pert.
Paavo Jervi conducting the Estonian National Symphony Orchestra in collage on the tones B-A-C-H by Arvo Pert. So here we have Arvo Pert, clearly torn. He's a natural musician. He's a composer. He's somebody that will write music no matter what. He's driven to write music. But he's torn. He wants to write music. He, he loves his music in the older style, but he wants to write like his contemporaries. He, uh, I think, is drawn to serialism and, and its intellectual aspects. And I do think that living in Estonia, far removed from uh, the European music capitals, there is a longing to, uh, to sound like his peers and to be contemporary. But at the same time, he has an obvious affinity for older music, and especially the music of Bach. This dichotomy reaches its pinnacle in Pert's Credo, which is basically a full-out war between a movement of Bach's well-tempered clavier, the famous C major prelude from the first book, and this new atonality and serialism. Let's hear these two works side by side. Here is Keith Jarrett playing the C major prelude from the first book of the well-tempered clavier by Bach, and Esa Pekka Salonen leading the Swedish Radio Symphony in Pert's Credo.
Well, if the credo is a full-scale war between tonality and serialism, it's clear that in Peart's mind, tonality has won. And uh, not only has it won, but it has won in C major. Those are a series of Cs ascending from the lowest register all the way up to the top at the end of the piece. You're listening to Relevant Tones on WFMT, a show exploring the sound world of contemporary composers. If you like what you hear, send us an email, info at relevanttones.com, and check out our Facebook page. Well, that piece, Credo, landed Parrot in some hot water with the Soviet authorities, not so much because of its musical content, but because of its overt spirituality and references to Christianity. And this is a theme that unfortunately now would haunt him. And eventually in the 80s, Parrot had to leave the Soviet Union entirely, and he spent a number of years in Austria, although he is back in Estonia now. This growing spirituality becomes more and more important to Parrot, and this rejection of atonality and serialism will form his later style. But first, he has a great crisis, and he finds himself unable to write a note of music, as his biographer says. For several years, he goes through a period of silence, as he would later talk about it. And to me, this is very fascinating because Schoenberg endured a similar period of silence. He wrote no music for seven years. And when he came back in 1913, it was with Pierrot Lenaire and uh, the, the atonal movement. And now here is Parrot many years later, struggling, as so many composers did, to deal with this atonal music and, and how they're going to use it in their own style. And for Parrot, he finds that he cannot. And so he has a very similar crisis. And he doesn't write And when he comes back, it's with a a completely new musical style. During this time, he converted to Orthodox Russian Christianity. He had always been a Christian, but it becomes much more important now. And he spent a period of time in a monastery. And so silence becomes important. He would hear bells in the monastery every day. And so this regulated system of life in which everything has a pattern becomes very important. And so almost without even knowing so much about the American minimalists, his music takes on a minimalist style in that it repeats a lot of things. It becomes very sparse. And um, this bell-like idea becomes very important to him. And he develops a style that he calls tintinabuli, or bell-like sounds. Let's have a listen to the first piece he wrote in this new style called Fur Alina. It's a solo piano piece, and I think it's quite easy to hear these bell-like sounds. Thank you. 
to the tintinabulation that so musically wells from the bells, 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 from the jingling and the tinkling of the bells. From Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Bells, the word tintinabulation here in onomatopoeia, symbolizing the ringing of the bells, and of course the word tintinabuli that Parrot would use to describe his new style, and I think very easy to hear there in that piece for Alina, performed for us by David Arden. Parrot has now come through the crucible, so to speak. He uh, was, was torn musically for a number of years, then he gets in trouble with the Soviet authorities, and I think that heightens his sense of, of spirituality. When people are persecuted, they, they tend to turn to, to something, a higher power. And in his case, it was definitely the Russian Orthodox Church. And so he's got this incredible spirituality, and then his time in the monastery um, taught him about silence and about bells, of course. And so we have this birth of a, of a brand new sound that would uh, come with several other composers to be called holy minimalism. I'd like to play another piece now by Perrett in this new style called Cantus in the Memory of Benjamin Britten. About this piece, Perrett says, Cantus, a personal threnody, an ultimate closing chord, a mystical threshold experience.
And so we come full circle. The composer Arvo Pert, from his earliest experimentations with uh, older classical music, through his experimentations with the more modern serialism, to attempts to combine the two into a, a spiritual and creative crisis, and finally the birth of a new expressive form that infuses spirituality with these bell-like sounds. We've heard Cantus in Memoriam of Benjamin Britten, performed for us by the Staatsorchester Stuttgart, Dennis Russell Davies, conductor. And the last thing we heard there was the pealing of the bell, the Tintin Abbey lie that would uh, inform Pert's later style. With whatever time we have left now, let's return to the Miserere, which opened the program, a hallmark of Arvo Pert's holy minimalist style. Next week, we'll listen to the music of John Taverner, a British composer who is often grouped into this style known as holy minimalism. Relevant Tones has been co-produced by Jesse McCorders at WFMT in Chicago and by myself, Seth Bosted, Executive Director of Access Contemporary Music. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and hope you'll email us at info at relevanttones.com or check us out on our Facebook page. Steve Robinson is the Executive Producer. I'm Seth Bosted, and thanks so much for listening.